two weeks ago, I spoke on the subject of reaching imperfect people. I told you the story about a motorcycle club member that I had met and the opportunity I had to get to know him. And it talked about how sometimes we as Christians have a tendency to respond in a way to those who are different than us that sometimes hinders our opportunity to reach them for the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about how we might respond by condemning someone, condoning someone, or caring for them. Well, getting some feedback and and talking about this with Christians, for a lot of us, I don't think we'd have any real problem welcoming somebody into our church service who is different than us. Uh, Sometimes for us as Christians, the greater difficulty is dealing with those who are like us, yet still different. You know, the Bible creates us all as unique individuals, but we are to be like-minded as we serve the Lord here in the body of Christ. And sometimes Christians face a greater challenge dealing with those who are supposed to be like us, but differ in certain ways. And I want to talk about that this morning, considering the subject, worshiping with imperfect people. Two weeks ago, reaching imperfect people, today, worshiping with imperfect people. Now, for these two titles I've selected, Reaching Imperfect People and Worshiping with Imperfect People, I don't want to give you the impression we can be perfect. Certainly, we can't. The fact that we have the old Adamic nature, the fallen nature, the sinful nature, however you want to refer to it, none of us will ever be perfect in this life. And I don't want to give the impression that some of us are perfect and others are not. The fact is, nobody is. The Bible tells us everyone is born into this world in sin. Everyone, as a child of Adam, as a descendant of that first man, Adam, is born with the fallen, sinful, Adamic nature. Romans chapter 5 tells us, Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so, death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Paul went on to say also in that book, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and reminds us the wages of sin is death. Everyone born into this world is born with the same fallen sinful condition and is in need of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he died. He came to this world to provide a way by which Human beings, us, could be born again and have a relationship with the Father and live with Him eternally. So the only way we're going to be perfect is when we receive our new bodies and we're in heaven with Him. 1 John tells us, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to the time God calls us home and we have the privilege of being like Christ. No more sin, no more wickedness, no more idolatry, no more iniquity will we be exposed to, will be in heaven to ever be with the Lord. What a wonderful time that's going to be. In fact, there are many songs in our hymn book we sing about in regard to that time, thinking of the sweet by and by. But as someone has said, until then, we have to live in the nasty now and now. And for us as Christians, it is our responsibility to learn not only how to live among those who are different than us outside these walls, 
But we also need to learn how to live amongst one another inside these walls. I don't believe there's a problem with this, but uh, simply something I wanted to continue with in regard to our thought from a couple weeks ago. So I'd like us to consider some ways in which Christians deal with other Christians who hold differing views than our own. We're going to look at three passages of Scripture. Turn with me, if you would, please, to Romans chapter 14 as we get started. The first way, and by the way, there are many ways. I've just picked three this morning for the sake of time and our consideration. The first way we consider is we can respond by opposing other Christians. In this response, we refuse to believe the Christian with whom we're involved in is correct. By our attitudes and our action, we're saying, I want to hinder you. Romans chapter 14, verse 1, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand." One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Paul is touching on two aspects of the Christian faith here. One has to do with whether or not it was appropriate to eat meat. More specifically, it had to do with meat that was offered to idols. People would go to the marketplace daily during those days and they would purchase things and sometimes if they They went to the market and found some meat that they wanted to purchase for a meal. They would get that. Well, there was on occasion some vendors who would sell meat that was brought to them after it was offered as a sacrifice to a pagan god. This practice was common in that day. People would offer the sacrifice and then they would bring the meat that was left over to the market to be sold so they could go ahead and profit from the remains of of that offering. Well, the question came up for Christians... Is it okay to eat that meat or not? That meat was offered to idols. One Christian says, you shouldn't have anything to do with it. After all, the Bible tells us to flee idolatry, and we're supposed to avoid something like that. Another Christian says, well, you know what? It's really no big deal, because after all, there's only one God. And it doesn't matter to what God that somebody has sacrificed that to, what named God. It's not the God of heaven. So it really doesn't matter. This created friction among believers of the time. And there was debate, there was discussion as to whether or not it was right or not. Well, the second aspect of this in verse 5, one esteemed one day higher than another. It had to do with the celebration of certain holidays. Now, we recognize here in America, not all of the holidays we celebrate throughout the year are actually Christian holidays. Some are, but not all. Someone will say, well, I don't think it's right for us to celebrate this particular day. For example, there are many Christians who don't think it's right and appropriate for us to celebrate Christmas. After all, the date, December 25th, has to do with pagan worship. There's no need to have a Christmas tree. There's no need to give gifts. After all, if it's Jesus' birthday, it's about him. It's not about us. And they're quite adamant about that. Others say, well, I don't see anything wrong with that. Well, again, Paul is trying to point out here, there are differences of opinions between 
God-fearing, Bible-believing people on certain subjects. So the issue is, who's right and who's wrong? Really, that's not the issue. The issue is, what do you believe in your heart to be right and wrong? And when you determine, let's say you, say, let's say you determine in your heart, it's wrong to celebrate Christmas. I'm not going to do it. Then don't do it. Don't be critical of those who do, but stay true to your belief. Someone says, well, I don't th- see anything wrong with it. Well, then fine. Someone says, I don't see anything wrong with eating meat sacrificed to idols. After all, it doesn't mean anything. There is no, there's no other God be- beside the Lord God of heaven. We get so worked up about whether or not others agree with us that we lose sight of our role as believers. My chief function and goal in life as a Christian is to glorify the Lord God in heaven. My goal ought not to be to make you live for God and to determine how you're going to go about doing that. No, my goal is for me to live right. And I would pray that the Lord would help you to live right and follow him with all your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind. That is God's plan for us. His chief goal for believers today is to glorify Him. That's why we were created. We were created that we might fellowship with Him. Sin caused us to have that fellowship and that relationship broken. As a result, Jesus Christ came to mend it, to bring us back together. And now that we're saved, God wants us to walk with Him in faith and in truth. My task in life is not to tell you how to live. My task in life is to live right. And in doing so, I will seek to demonstrate what God's word has to say about how we should live. Now, as a pastor and a preacher, I have the added responsibility of declaring to you, thus saith the Lord. But it's your responsibility to determine whether or not you're going to follow the Lord or you're going to go another direction. We can't be guilty of making ourselves the standard by which everyone else is measured. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 tells us this, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise." Scripture is telling us, don't look at somebody else and compare them to yourself and say, you're better than them. You know, we sometimes get the idea we're more mature, we're more spiritual, we're more valuable as believers. God will do more with us than with others. Shame us. Pride gets in the way. Scripture tells us, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You see, the attitude of a person like this, who points out everybody else's faults and seeks to uh, oppose what they're doing in their life as a Christian, saying, well, you're doing this wrong. You're not doing this right. This is what you ought to do. This is what you shouldn't do. Careful. Be careful about that. Notice we're in Romans chapter 14. Look down at verse 10. But why... Dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? 
For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Paul is emphasizing the idea that you're you're spinning your wheels. You're wasting time always trying to straighten out the faults and the weaknesses of everyone else. When really the bigger problem is yourself. We will give an account of ourselves to the Lord. I have enough issues in my own life. I don't have to go around trying to find fault in everybody else. The biggest enemy I face is the one I look at in the mirror every morning. We're so stuck on the idea that I'm right and you're wrong that we let that idea hinder us in our walk with the Lord and in our relationship with one another. Because of our differences, we oftentimes, let's say because of our differences with other believers, we oftentimes will have little to do with someone who is different than ourselves. And I believe this is a carnal approach. How do you fix the issue? If there's somebody who believes differently than you and it bothers you, how do you fix it? Write them a letter. No, no. Philippians chapter 1, Paul tells us this. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Best thing to do is start praying for somebody. If you have a problem with them, if you struggle with what they do or don't do or how they're acting or not acting, pray for them. You see, in verse 5, he points out, for your fellowship in the gospel. That's what was most important to them. Their fellowship in the gospel. Serving the Lord together for the cause of Christ. There's nothing wrong with being drawn to people who share our interests. However, as a part of the family of God, the body of Christ, we ought to strive. We ought to endeavor to get along with all the believers in the house of God so that we together might serve the Lord and accomplish that which he's given us to do, not just as individuals, but as a congregation. Gary Odell is credited with saying, there is a God and you're not him. We need to get our priorities straight here. John Ruskin, when a man is wrapped up in himself, he makes a pretty small package. And D.L. Moody said, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. We can respond to others with whom we differ by opposing them, but then we're guilty of sending the message, I want to hinder you. We can respond in another way. Look at Proverbs chapter 26. This passage, Proverbs chapter 26, sends out a very strong warning. Verse 20 tells us this, Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. As coals are to burning, and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. 
The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. See, while with one group we'll oppose them, with this group we have a tendency to criticize them. After failing to convince a person that they're wrong and they need to change and be like us, we then take it to the next level and we seek to convince others the person in question is wrong. With this attitude, we're saying, I want to hurt you. Now, it might not be your intention to harm another believer, but when we say things about them that are untrue, unkind, or unnecessary, we certainly do exactly that. And that's what Scripture is getting at here in Proverbs chapter 26. Where no wood is, the fire goeth out. That's common sense. If you ever had an opportunity to go camping and you had a campfire, when you're done at the end of the evening and you want to go ahead and, and uh, break camp the next day or that night, put the fire, you spread out the wood so that they're not touching each other. You spread it out. You douse it with water. You cool it. You make sure that it's covered and the fire will go out. But the way to keep a fire going is to throw more wood on it. It's to go ahead and keep giving it more fuel. And for some of us, we're not satisfied with having a difference with another believer and simply concluding that, oh, well, you believe that way, I believe this way, we'll just go on and do our own thing. No, we have to take it to the next level. We have to amp it up a little bit, and we have to get other people on our side. So rather than speaking to that individual anymore, we start talking to others. We start talking to other people in the church. We get on the phone. We send out emails. We go ahead and post on Facebook. We start letting the the word get out. So-and-so is different. So-and-so thinks differently and acts differently than than I do, and I don't like it, and I'm kind of wondering who's in agreement with me. That is such a carnal and wicked approach to interpersonal relationships that there's no good solution for that. Again, Proverbs 26 warns that as coals are to the burning and wood to the fire, so a contentious man to kindle strife. Contentious, being one who stirs up trouble. Some people seem like they're just looking for a fight. They're just walking around looking for an opportunity to get into a scrap. They're not happy about this. They're not satisfied with that. They're upset about this person, and they want somebody else to know about it. James chapter 4, verse 11 says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother... And judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law, and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. James warns us that for a believer to speak evil of another Christian, you find yourself being disobedient to the word of God. You see, we sometimes feel we know best as a result of our being convinced we're right and others wrong, we'll seek to enlist others to our side. And unfortunately, when we do that, we have a tendency to embellish the story, don't we? You ever listen to two boys, <laughs> brothers? They're getting, they're getting chewed out by mom and dad. They've done something wrong. And you listen to those two, and they're telling about the same incident, the same ordeal, and they both have completely different stories. And it's all his fault. No, no, it's all his fault. Well, sometimes as Christians, we're like that. 
And we have a tendency to seek to make someone else look bad so we might look good. The Bible says you should take a different approach. Kind of to the effect that he that is greatest among you, let him be the least. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Rather than trying to lift ourselves up, rather than trying to boast of ourselves and be in opposition to the point where we're harming another person's testimony, we ought to seek to resolve that situation. Proverbs 26, verse 28 tells, A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. Froward. That's an old-fashioned word for wicked. Wicked. Rotten gossip, tailbearer, backbiter, however you want to call it. Proverbs tells us that person who sows strife is wicked. Acts chapter 17. In fact, if you would turn here, I'd like to see this passage because it's a, an example in the New Testament of exactly what we're talking about. Acts chapter 17, verse 5. Those of you who are familiar with the book of Acts here in this particular passage, the first four verses actually all the way down through verse 9, deal with Paul in his visit to Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. He established a church during that time, but there were folks who didn't like it. Notice in verse 5 what they did. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city in an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. You had this crowd who heard Paul preach. They didn't like it. They didn't agree with it. They weren't able to convince him he was wrong, because actually he wasn't. He was right. But rather than drop it and say, oh well, we're just going to go ahead and go our separate way, they said, we're going to get a crowd together, and we're going to resolve this in a different way. And the scripture tells us they gathered people of the baser sort. These are the same type of people who, with the mob mentality, try and force people in our culture and society today to do what they want. You have these are the people who are bullying businesses and schools and universities and organizations, trying to make them bow down to their level of expectation. And here we find that these type of folks, these baser sort, these wicked, vile people, will use this mob mentality to try and get somebody to do what they want or to change their way or to kowtow to them. That's what we're talking about here. Sometimes we as Christians, we're guilty of trying to gather people on our side so that if I have more people that agree with me than agree with you, I must be right. It's a wrong approach. A wrong approach. It is wicked and ungodly to seek to harm someone's testimony for the Lord by tearing them apart simply because we disagree with them. How many times through the years have we held to a particular position or belief or idea only to find out after a period of time we were wrong? That is the case with every person who's ever come to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Enemies of God, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, outside of the family of God. Some have been quite harsh 
and outspoken in their opposition to the Lord. Others, not quite as much. However, we stood against God. When we saw ourselves lost and on our way to hell and received Jesus Christ as our Savior, it wasn't He that changed, but it was us. We became a new creature. And no longer were we enemies of God, but now we are the children of God. Our position changed. We were wrong outside of Christ. But in Christ, we're right. And as Christians, we need to come to the conclusion and understand that not every one of us as believers see things exactly alike on all the different ideas, activities, and influences of this world. True, we ought to live a godly life. We ought to seek to honor the Lord in everything we do. But because someone disagrees with you about a particular view or idea about dress or grooming or whatever, that doesn't make them wicked. What makes that person wicked is whether or not they oppose God and His Word, not me and my Word. You see, that's the dividing factor right there. Who do they stand in opposition to? If they simply disagree with me, so what? If they disagree with God, they're in danger of eternal damnation. As a Christian, they're in danger of chastisement. Certainly we want to go to someone if we see them in that state and be a help to them. But our goal ought not to be to change them so they be like us. Our goal ought to be to see them be like the Lord. Amen. Someone said, you don't pray for people you gossip about, and you don't gossip about people you pray for. Another said, whosoever gossips to you will gossip about you. I heard of a pastor who had a notebook on his desk in his study, and anytime someone had come in, to discuss another person in the church. He would take that notebook out and pick up a pen and start writing. And they say, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm taking notes. And they said, why? I says, well, when I talk to this person, I want to make sure I get my story straight and I, I quote you correctly. They said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't want you to tell them that. Then I'm not going to listen to you tell me. You know, he stopped a lot of problems right there. It's too bad other Christians or many Christians, don't have character enough to put a stop to the gossip rather than feeding the flame. Someone says, you know what a gossip is, don't you? There's someone who says, if you don't have anything nice to say about someone, then sit next to me and tell me about them. Because we want to hear all the bad we can about others. We can respond to people by opposing them, which says, I want to hinder you. We can respond to people by criticizing them, which indicates we're actually wanting to hurt them. Or we can respond to someone by encouraging them. John chapter 13. Here we have the instruction and admonition of our Lord concerning our relationship with others. This is how we respond by encouraging others. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, and that ye also love one another. Verse 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. John chapter 15, over one to two chapters. John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another 
as I have loved you. Verse 17, these things I command you that ye love one another. You see, in this response, we realize we're not always right. Or we're not as right as we think we are. And by our attitude and our actions, we're saying, I want to help you. Not hinder you, not harm you. I want to help you and encourage you in the way. What's the goal here? It's to have a testimony for Christ before all men that will be a blessing to them and that will strengthen them in the faith. We accomplish this by loving and caring for others as Christ has loved and cared for us. This rules out the me factor, which is the goal of opposing somebody. It rules out the we factor, which is the goal of criticizing and piling on. And it leaves us with the the factor, which is the goal of encouraging others. The scripture is pretty clear about how we're to respond to other believers, including those with whom we disagree. In fact, when you look at the writings in the New Testament, nearly every book in the New Testament touches on this subject. Just to run through a few quickly here. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be ye kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. 1 Corinthians 12.25 That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Galatians 6.10 As ye have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto those of the household of faith. Ephesians 4.32, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Philippians 2.3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Colossians 3.13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Second Thessalonians 1.3 We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Peter got in on this, 1 Peter 3.8. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. John, in 1 John 3.18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Anyone can love while being loved. It takes God's grace to love those who offer little or nothing in return. Is that not what the Lord did for us? For God so loved the world that he gave. It doesn't just say God so loved those who reciprocated, who responded in kind, who returned such love. No, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. As we said, there are many more thoughts on this, and certainly I know you'll come across these in your reading of Scripture, but we can respond to Christians with different ideas than us by opposing them, which indicates I want to hinder you, 
by criticizing them, which says I want to harm you, or by encouraging them, which lets them know I want to help you. Let me close with this illustration about how we can quietly care for others. Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers, name no doubt you've heard many times, but he's credited with preaching to over 10 million people in his lifetime. He was the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London for 38 years. He authored many commentaries, poems, hymns, and other writings. Throughout his ministry, he was appreciated by many, but not all. You see, he and his wife, among other things, raised chickens. They're at their home in England, and they would sell the eggs that those chickens laid. Well, one day, a woman came to their home, and she wanted some eggs. She wanted to save some money, so she asked the Spurgeons to give her eggs out of the goodness of their hearts rather than charging her. They said, you're a Christian. Why don't you show some Christian kindness and give me some eggs? Isn't that funny? I think she's got some relatives living down the road here. But anyway, the Spurgeons said no. The woman left their home irate. Soon, news about this event spread all over town. People were criticizing this preacher and his wife, calling them unkind, unchristian, ungiving, and unloving. But it wasn't until after Mrs. Spurgeon died, the truth of the situation was revealed. You see, the reasons they wouldn't give away those eggs is because they used the prophet to support two widow women who lived in that town. While others criticized them for being ungiving and unkind and uncaring, they were actually secretly giving much of their income to help those two women who couldn't care for themselves. We don't always know all the facts, and it would do us well when we're dealing with a Christian who looks at things a little differently than us to be careful how we respond. Again, the key is what is it they're doing and how does it line up with Scripture? Not how does it line up with my views or our views, but what does God's Word say about what they're doing? I'll leave you with this thought. The storm clouds of life loom overhead many a person. Be a rainbow rather than a lightning bolt in somebody's cloud today.